Okay, tonight we're going to be picking it up in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. And I've mentioned as we go going through Chronicles that we will hit one more stretch where we get a lot of names, and we're going to get some of that tonight. But also what we get tonight is really David, King David around 1000 B.C., just sort of tightening the screws on the kingdom in a good way, buttoning things up, if you will, putting things in order, and setting things up for the next generation, and really generations to come with his decision-making and his plans and what he does. And so we're going to see some neat things tonight as we go through this. So we'll pick it up in chapter 23, moving forward from the whole situation where the angel of the Lord and the census and all that was amazing, quite a story. And David has built up all that wealth for Solomon to build the temple, but it's not for him to build the temple. And from that backdrop, we come into chapter 23. And we read this. So when David was old and full of days... He made his son Solomon king over Israel. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above. And the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. And 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments which I made, said David, for giving praise. Also, verse 6, David separated them into divisions amongst the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So remember, in the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi was the one tribe set aside to the Lord with service to the Lord full-time, and that tribe was subdivided into the three sons of the original Levi, the man Levi and his three sons, Gershon, Merari, and Kothoth. So that's how we get this division here. So all the priesthood service, as we've said in times past, depending on which son you came from, is depending on the type of category of service you had as a Levite. So at verse 7, we read on. Of the Gershonites, Laden and Shimei, the sons of Laden, the first Jehiel, then Zetham and Joel, three in all. The sons of Shimei, Sholemeth, Haziel, and Haran, three in all. These were the heads of the father's house of Ladan, and the sons of Shimeel, Shimei, Jathan, Zinia, Jeuth, and Barai. These were the four sons of Shimei. Jehath was the first, and Ziza the second. But Jeush and Bariah did not have many sons, therefore they were assigned as one father's house. So they merged those guys together, and that's how they're taking in this sort of a, uh, accounting of how it was all going to be organized. The sons of Kohath. Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel, four in all. The sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. And Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give blessings in his name forever. Now the sons of Moses, the man of God, were reckoned to the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershon and Eliezer. Of the sons of Gershon, Shibiel was the first. Of the descendants of Eliezer, Rehabiah was the first. And Eliezer had no other sons, but the sons of Rehabiah were very many. Of the sons of Issachar, Sholomah Smith was the first. Of the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first. Amariah the second. Jehaziel the third. And Jechamim the fourth. Of the sons of Uziel, Micah was the first. And Jeshiah the second. Verse 21, now we get the sons of Merari. Were Mahaliel Mushi. The sons of Mahali were Eliezer. And Kish. And Eliezer died and had no sons but only daughters. And their brethren, the sons of Kish, took them as wives. The sons of Mushi were Mahli, Eder, Jeremoth, three in all. 
These were the sons of Levi by their father's house, the heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by number of their names, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. So we start out with 30 years and above, and then we get 20 years and above. We'll come back to that in a minute. But something that gets our attention right away is in verse 1, where it says, So David, so when David was old and full of age, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. It's an interesting verse, because of course we've been seeing this going through 2 Samuel and whatnot, where kings get old, they pass away, how do they handle the transition of their administration, which son becomes king, how it plays out, is it a smooth landing, is it a difficult thing? You know, transitions are transitions, right? You, you get any leadership in any business, CEO moves on, there's new management coming in. Even in my father's elderly care place, there's been uh, new ownership bought it out, and we have the orientation on Friday about the new people buying it. They're going to give us their vision, they're going to sell us on the place, and the changeover, and they're going to give us their pitch, and they're going to try and convince us to trust their leadership as the new ownership of this uh, memory care assisted living facility. Any company, any ministry, any church, when the lead pastor moves on, you know, you have a transition, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't go so well. Sometimes you have people that want to hang on to things when they get older. There's plenty of people in their 90s that just can't let go of anything, and everything's unraveling around them, and it's created chaos for their adult kids and their grandkids. Oh, I have stories that I've been asked to pray for that are just almost, you can't even, you can't even believe the stories. when You're just like, how did someone with this much wealth never have a trust and a will? And how did, how did a family with eight kids let one kid steal it all? Right? Like, you just go, how did that happen? And it's too late when they're in their 90s and they got Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's because you can't go do the trust in the will. It won't be binding. It won't hold up. You know, it's like there's tricky things there. So we've seen, if you've ever taken care of older people, what happens is you lose freedoms when you're older. You, you, you kind of in your 50s, you start to figure out, like, hey, I just can't surf like that anymore, right? My worldview. Or I just can't do that that way anymore. And you get certain, you start to get limitations. But then what really the acceleration is from 80 to 100, you lose freedom of being able to drive. You lose the freedom of certain other things that you just, you just lose those freedoms. And it's hard to lose those freedoms. And eventually your sphere of circle of what you travel in gets, it retracts and gets smaller and smaller and smaller till you're maybe in memory care. And this is your room. That's the living room. That's the dining hall. And that's where you go out and have fresh air in the patio area. And that's just a preview of coming attractions if you live long enough to reach it. Now, what I really like about David here is he appointed Solomon as king. Now, we know from Samuel, excuse me, in 1 Kings, there was urgency to it because Ahijan, the one son, said, I'm going to be the king. And, you know, Nathan the prophet came to Bathsheba and said, hey, he's up to no good. You guys are going to get thrown under the bus. You're going to be executed if he becomes king. David said Solomon would be king. you got to go in there and tell David right now and plead for him to recognize Solomon as the future king. And it's all there in 1 Kings chapter 1. And he did, she did, and David did recognize Solomon. So you get the whole coronation publicly, and that was the end of Ajinah's, uh, Adonijah's rebellion. So we know more about this story. It's one verse here. It's almost like a whole chapter in 1 Kings chapter 1. But what's important is David did what he had to do. Listen, David let go of what he had to let go of. That's the key application. David let go of what he had to let go of, and letting go was hard. 
it's hard at 80, letting go of a, maybe in your 80s of a driving driver's license, that independence. It's, it's hard letting go when your adult kids grow up and they marry someone and they move on, letting go. That's hard. Saying goodbye to grandkids and you live 3,000 miles away, you got to commit that to the Lord. There's all kinds of things you have to let go. I've let go of a lot of ministries. That first fruitful ministry I ever had was a drug and alcohol ministry at Calvary Vista in 1989 and 1990. And it was fruitful. We put a lot into it. We primed the pump, as uh, Zig Ziglar would say. You know, it was, it was flowing. We had momentum. It was good. Don't crash and burn it. It'll run itself. And Carlos Ayub took it over and did a fantastic job. Took it to another level. He took the materials God gave me, the one-step program, and before it was done, they were being used in, in the prison system of Texas for rehabilitation, you know? So he took another level, but we let go. When we left Virginia to go to Vermont, we left the Healthy Church in Virginia. We turned it over to someone. You know, I was like, I'm okay. Like, it's their deal now before the Lord, and they crashed and burned it. And, you know, and 15 years later, the church didn't exist. When we left Vermont, we turned it over to Jim O'Connor, and he did a great job for seven years, and then he was called on, and he turned it over to people who, they let it die. Recently, Pastor Jeff Johnson retired from the ministry over there in Downey. Big church. Have you ever been to Downey? I mean, it's, you know, I'm going to guess it's probably six to ten acres. Uh, I mean, maybe even more than that. It's a big lot in Los Angeles County. Man, he built that ministry. The Lord used him to build that ministry for like 40 years through multiple, you know, decades. And he has cancer. He's in his 70s. And he let it go to Artie Reyes. And I really like Pastor Artie. Artie's a really neat guy. And we see people from Downey. Jennifer and I are on the bike path. We always seem to run into people that know me from Downey. And I'll say, hey, tell Pastor Artie we said hi and everything. And they've had to adjust to Downey. I mean, Jeff Johnson's no longer the pastor. And he's probably hanging out in his house in Seal Beach. And Artie Reyes has got to take this forward. And see, so sooner or later, you have to let go. Your most fruitful thing that God's ever done in your life, you have to let go. Sooner or later, you know, you're stepping into eternity. Whatever, you know, wealth you're leaving behind or whatever you're doing or, or spiritual legacy or your business model, you have to let it go. And so this just reminds me when I see David says, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. When it was super crucial that he make a firm, solid decision that had to be made, he did. And he made it in the very end of his life. And the rest of the chapter, we just read these passages that he put things in order. They had to be put in order, too. He organized things. I found it fascinating when studying the Ford Foundation and Henry Ford and then um, Edsel Ed, Ford, his son. The son died of stomach cancer in his 40s, in the 40s, during World War II. He wasn't military, but he, and he was in charge of the Ford Motor Company, which was thriving at this time. That just called Fordism. It influenced the whole world on capitalism, Fordism. And he was the president, and then he got cancer, and he died. Well, the grandson is Henry Ford II, who's the grandson. But before that grandson was old enough to really run with the company, Henry Ford, the original founder, Grandpa, listen, for you older people, be encouraged. He came back at the age of 81, and he ran the Ford Motor Company for about three years. And I thought, wow, because he hadn't run it since the 20s. Like, man, that would have been something to be grieving the loss of your adult son to cancer, your only son, and then coming back to run the company for three years in your 80s to turn it over to your grandson who's named after you. I just, those kind of things inspire me because it says like, hey, we want to always be ready, right? Like, you just, you just never know what the Lord has, but letting go is a crucial part of life, and some people never seem to be able to let go. 
David, listen, he let go of everything. When he gave up the kingdom, he let go of everything. The day-to-day decisions, the wealth, all of it. His entire life, the leg of his life, he had to let go and give it to Solomon. So to me, it's a powerful lesson to us. To, to, when the Lord shows us to let go, we need to let go. And the key to letting go is, is not so much of what you're letting go of, but what you're going to. And when you watch people step into eternity, what they're really letting go of is their legacy of life, their loved ones are left behind, and they're letting go. Once they, they have to let go, and then they go on to eternity because they're going somewhere better. So they're leaving this behind, and they got to let it go. And you hope for the best. But in the end, we got to go on the glory. And so you see, when I look at my life and this ministry, the next five years, ten years, we're, we're building and we're growing, and it's for the next generation. It's for the younger generation. It's for, you know, you younger people here. It's for, your, it's for our grandkids, you know. And in the end, we're going to try and be faithful in our timeline, baby boomers and Gen X, with what God has for us. But there's going to be a time when we have to let it all go. And whatever you do at the... Worship generation, the Calvary Chapel movement, the body of Christ in the year 2041 or whatever, that's going to be between you and the Lord because we're going to glory. And we're not coming back. So it's a good, good thing. I'm impressed by David letting go. I mean, because you might let go of a little bit. Oh, I've got $1,000 in the bank. I'll let go of that. David had a net worth that would be equal to billions in our current economy. He let it go. He had to. He's going to leave behind anyways, but it's better to delegate it, let it go, and let the next person step up and fulfill their things. Now, that's a good word. I like that about David here. So he made Solomon his son king. Good for him. Because some people can never let someone be the next king. And I don't know what's in that, but God does. And I told Jennifer the other day, I go, you know, because I'm, I told Jennifer the other day, I said, listen, I don't think I should drive when I'm 80. She goes, can I record you? Can I, get you? Can I record you to say that? <laughs> I go, no. No, because when I'm 80, I'll probably resist not driving when I'm 80. You cannot record me. I say, let me think about it. You know, I'm doing the traffic school stuff. It's so funny. He's like, hey, Jennifer, do you know when you put your blinker on, it lets people know what your intention is? <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny stuff. You know, just, traffic school's made for some people, and I'm one of those people. All right, it's good stuff. Hey, I, actually, I'm enjoying it. I was like, oh, look at this. This is a good law. Jennifer, this is a really good law. Yeah, just keep, keep doing your thing there. Verse 15, we read on. So it says here, excuse me, verse 25. For David, okay, so he's appointed. Now, we started with 30 years old, if you caught that, and now they're 20 years old. So let's catch this before we move on to 24, chapter 24. For David said, the Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also to the Levites that they shall no longer carry the tabernacle or any of the articles for its service. For by the last words of David, you see that? What a phrase. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, in purifying of all the holy things and the work of the service of the house of God, both with the showbread and the fine flour and the grain offerings, with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan. 
with what is mixed in with all kinds of measures and sizes to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. And at every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, on the set feast, by number according to the ordinance governing them regularly before the Lord. And that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place, and the needs of the sons of Aaron and the brethren in the work of the house of the Lord. So what happened here, now David has consolidated everything. The, the tents no longer in Shiloh, the tabernacle, everything is completely centralized. And Solomon is going to build this temple, and this is going to be the central place where everyone comes three times a year, and there's a lot of work to be done. The priests aren't carrying the Ark of the Covenant on the poles anymore. It's no longer mobile. God has planted them forever in Jerusalem, Israel, the central place of worship. And so now that the Ark of the Covenant's coming out of a tabernacle into the temple, there's a clarity of purpose in the future. What was is not what's going to be. And as David sees the horizon and looks ahead and sees where things are going, he realizes, hey, we need a lot of people to run the ministry to help the priests of the Kohathites. Remember, Levi, three subdivisions. Kohathites, they're the priests. The others do the work, but these are the priests. And so he's like, we need to, we need to mobilize more people. We need more people helping with all the services that they do, of the animal sacrifices and the system that God put in place for worship, how he's approached, how he's worshiped, how he's praised on the feast days, on the new moons and the Sabbaths, and we need, we need more people than we have. So that the cutoff for priests was 30. You had to be 30 to be a priest. So there's something to say for that, right? Jesus began his ministry at 30. I think most women would agree that men should be much more mature at 30 than they are at 20. Right? Hopefully. And so that process would be going forward. When we studied this back in the earlier books of Moses, we saw that although they began to work as a priest at the age of 30, it included physical labor, they began their apprenticeship at 25. So you had a four-year program plus, uh, you know, a residency, if you will, in the priesthood. You had your four years and then a one-year of residency training, and then at 30, you hit the ground running. But here we go, almost 400, 500 years later, David, they've been in the land, they've been overrun by all these different people, back and forth, the book of Judges, but now they're strong, they've defeated their enemies. And David's like, hey, we need more people to do the work. We need more people to do the work. So, but what kind of work is it? It's the work of the Lord. What did Jesus say? The, the, you know, the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. You can never have too many people that want to do the work of the Lord. And it's been said many times that 10% of the people do 90% of the work in the human experience, but also in the body of Christ. So David recognized that the, the age requirement wasn't going to work for the model going forward in the next generation in ministry. So he changed it to 20 and you say, now, can you just do that? Well, I guess, you know, the Lord really looked at the heart because David ate the showbread too. And Jesus commended it. Which just goes to show if your heart's right with God, you'll probably make really good decisions when you're trying to find solutions. Because there's a problem here. The ministry before the Lord on behalf of the people is not going to have enough people to do it. The solution is there's plenty of people. We need to lower our age cutoff and bring it down to 20 
and we need to get the young people involved so we have enough people amongst the Levites to do the work that's anticipated for the worship of the Lord in this central place of worship. David came up with, listen closely, what seemed to be the best solution possible. There was a need, there was an obstacle and problems, and David found a basic solution. We're not get, we can't recruit people that are above 30 in the 11 tribes to help in the priesthood. They're not allowed to help in the priesthood. They're not Levites. Whatever we're going to do, listen, in your own personal life, you'll know certain solutions are bound to a one-twelfth of something like the tribe of Levi. Sometimes the greatest problems, they're, not, they're in this lane. This solution has to come within the house of the Levites. There is no other solution. We cannot bring in the tribe of Dan or Benjamin or Naphtali to solve this problem. We need a larger labor force. We need more people. And they have to be Levites. So this is the numbers are what they are. So the solution is to lower the numbers. Don't you think it's a good solution? Isn't it? Listen, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this all the time. The best sense is generally common sense. And the book of Proverbs, and I tell you, I read it every day, over and over and over. I finish it, then I go back to the beginning. And the last couple of months has been in the New Living, or the New, you know, the Living Bible. I'm going to go back to New King James. You just, you just can't take in that wisdom too much. You don't overthink it. And what we learn with David here too is God does look at the heart. And David had a heart for the Lord. And the legacy of his life is when he makes mistakes, he owns them. And his heart generally is in a place of worship to the Lord, wanting to honor the Lord and do what's best with the Lord. So God looks at the heart. David, with a good heart toward the Lord, came up with the best plan he could to meet a need for the ministry to go forward as best as he could. That famous question a senior pastor once asked me when Phil Wickham was leading worship for us at the age of 16. He said, how can you use a 16-year-old worship leader? And I said, how can you not use this one? <laughs> he happens to go to your church. You might consider using him because in a couple of years you won't be able to. <laughs> yeah. So find solutions with a good heart before the Lord and be motivated by good things for the Lord. And he will give you the solutions to the problems. Those are, those are good problems. Solving problems for more people serving the Lord and advancing the kingdom of God, find those solutions. And he found it. I was like, wait, well, I know 30. How do you just like David goes, hey, the cutoff's now 20. Well, you know, like, it stayed that way. And that was the need. It's not, see, it's not a doctrinal or theological thing. It's not a type of Christ. It's like, we need more people to build Green Valley, Pastor Chuck. We need more people in the mission field, Pastor Joey, right? Like, that's, that's more the thinking that you need to have. It's not a theological, doctrinal thing. It's like, we need more people to do the work of the Lord. And this is where they're going to come from. Good for David. Chapter 24, uh, we, get the, we, get more, we get more focus on Aaron now. So we've had the Levites subdivided by three. Now we get the Kohathites under Aaron and we get this here. So now these are the divisions. This is all David putting stuff in order for religious ministry, for worship and order in the, in the new temple when it would come to pass. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. 
And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. Then David with Zadok and the of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. So this is the work schedule. There were more leaders found to the sons of Eleazar than to the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were 16 heads of their father's houses and eight heads of their father's houses among the sons of Ithamar. Thus they were divided by lot, one group as another. For there were officials, for there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God from the sons of Eleazar and from the sons of Ithamar. And the scribe Shemaiah, the son of Nethanael, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, and the, the leaders, Zadok and the priests, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abathar, and the heads of the father's houses of the priests and the Levites, one father's house taken for Eleazar and one for Ithamar. Now the first lot fell to Jehoreb, the second to Jedidiah, the third to Haram, the fourth to Sorum, the fifth to Malchijah, the sixth to Majamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah, the ninth to Jeshua, the tenth to Shachaniah, the eleventh to Eliashib, the twelfth to Jacob, the thirteenth to Hufa, the fourteenth to Jeshebeb, the fifteenth to Bilga, the sixteenth to Emer, the seventeenth to Hezir, the eighteenth to Hapazizes, the nineteenth to Pethahiah, the 20th to Jehezekiel, the 21st to Jachin, the 22nd to Jamul, the 23rd to Deliah, the 24th to Mezaiah. So you can see the division was 24. That's an important number. It comes up again. Verse 19. This was the schedule of their service for the coming into the house of the Lord according to the ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God Israel had commanded him. And the rest of the sons of Levi, the sons of Amram, Shubiah, of the sons of Shabal, Jedidiah, concerning Rahabiah, of the sons of Rahabiah, the first was Ishiah, of the Israelites, Shalamoth, of the sons of Shemoth, Jehath, of the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first, Amariah the second, Jehaziel the third, Jechamim the fourth, of the sons of Uziel, Micah, of the sons of Micah, Shemir, the brother of Micah, Ishahiah, the sons of Ishahiah, Zechariah. The sons of Merari were Mahalil and Mushi. The sons of Jazahiah, Bino. The sons of Merari by Jazahiah were Bino, Shoham, Zakur, Ibri. Of Mahalil, Eliezer, who had no sons. Of Kish, the son of Kish, Jahamil. Also the sons of Mushi were Mahali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the sons of the Levites according to their father's houses. These also, here's the key verse, verse 31, these also cast lots just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron did, in the presence of the king, David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the father's house of the priests and Levites, the chief fathers did as their younger brethren. So in this order, you're going to have the priest doing the work of the priest, like going inside the tabernacle, the holy place, with the showbread, light the altar of incense, and the, the lamp, and then, of course, Aaron the descendants of Aaron, the high priest, would go into the holiest place on Yom Kippur once a year. And then you have them doing all the animal sacrifices, which, of course, represent Christ dying on the cross for our sins. One way or another, they represent that, all of them, sin offering, burnt offering, trespass offering, heave offering, all of them point to Jesus one way or another for what he would do for us on the cross. And this is how God set it up. 
Now, God gave them the law, his law, and there was the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which we know. There was the civil law for governing and guiding the people as a nation, and there's a religious law. And this was the way it was to be, and it all points to Christ, and that's what all this order is about. And if you think about it, before David became king, there's a lot of disorder in Israel. In the book of Judges, what did we read? Everyone knew it was right in their own eyes. They were constantly overrun by the enemies. There was no strong leadership. There was no one unifying them to have a strong walk with the Lord. In fact, we're told in Judges that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now you got a man, a king, with a heart after God, with a humble heart, in spite of the plague, with the angel, all that stuff. He loves the Lord. God's with him. He sees the kingdom. He sees Israel established in Jerusalem. David was just so far ahead in his vision for God's plans on planet Earth, for sure. And he's there, and he's putting these things in order intentionally, deliberately, and quite efficiently is what he's doing. But here's the part that we get. It says in verse 31 that they cast lots to determine it, and it says the chief fathers did just as the younger brethren. So basically, they're all in the same pool, if you will, almost like a draft, right? They're all, like, the age variation's there, but they're going to get their service, and like, hey, there they were. So they showed up, and they're going to cast lots. So it's like rolling the dice, or really it's like rolling the dice. You know, they cast the lots, it's like rolling the dice. So if the sixes come up, or the fours, or fives, or snake eyes, you know, you guys are first, you're second. And they trusted in the Old Testament, when they had cast a lot, they believed that the Lord would guide that decision. If they were flipping a coin, they would believe that God was guiding that decision, and they would receive it as such. So their faith was in the lot, Their faith was in the Lord that he would speak to them through the lot. In fact, Solomon would write in his own timeline, in writing the book of Proverbs, the lot belongs to the Lord. He basically said, the decision, you know, you cast it before the Lord, you throw the lot out, and which is which, which way do we go? The Lord, you you come by faith, you cast the lot, the lots of the Lord receive it. Don't say, Lord, show me what to do, and then he shows you the lot, and you say, I don't like that lot, let's flip the coin again. It doesn't work that way. You know, in the Old Testament with the lot, it's like, hey, heads we go, tails we stay. Heads we stay. Well, let's try again, two out of three with Jehovah, huh? It doesn't work like that. You had to come by faith and receive it by faith, and the lot belongs to the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, before the day of Pentecost, but after Judas hung himself, we know in that 40, 50 year, excuse me, we know that in that 40, 50 day period, that as Peter surveyed the, the apostles and the 11 of them, he put scriptures together and he said, listen, this was fulfilled, this was fulfilled, and God wants us to pick a new apostle to replace, replace Judas. And so they put forth, you know, uh, uh, the two, Justice Matthias being the one that won the lot. And so they cast the lot and they, pr- they pray. They said, Lord, you know the hearts of all people. This is the qualification that they're with Jesus from the beginning of the ministry. And they cast the lot and they chose Matthias. And they received as such. But in so doing, they got their 12th apostle before the day of Pentecost, which seemed pretty important, I suppose, to Peter. It's never reproved as being wrong. It's just what happened. But then the one that didn't get the lot, later on we see him delivering the letter from the churches in the book of Acts chapter 16. So there's a place for everybody with the lot. Just because the lot didn't go your way doesn't mean there's not a plan for you. It just means that's not what the Lord has for you. But we don't cast lots. We pray and seek the Lord. 
Because once the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, we're told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit will guide us in all truths and he'll lead us in the way. He'll give us discernment. He's personal. He gives us discernment. He gives us that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And he guides us. So for us, really knowing the direction and the decision, because that's the context here. That's the application. When we're seeking the Lord for direction and decision on big decisions, like, hey, move to Arizona, not move to Arizona, right? Uh, Sell the house in California, move to Texas. Save the house in California, take money out of the house in California, buy a house in Texas, and own two houses. Hey, you want to seek the Lord. You want the Lord to guide you. That's what you want to do. So the way we do that, like move to Virginia and start a church, move to Vermont and start a church, go back to California and do a surf ministry. Like The way you figure these things out is you seek first the Lord. You seek the Lord. And we're told in Psalm 119 that thy word, O Lord, is a, a light unto my feet and a, a light to my path and it's to my feet, that he will guide us, a lamp to our feet. So when we're sincerely praying and seeking the Lord for decisions and directions that must be made, he will guide us if we come by faith. He will guide us. He'll, he'll lead us. He'll speak to us from his word. We wait on the Lord, and he'll direct us and lead us, and he'll give us clarity. And really, that's the thought that Paul had when he wrote Colossians, where he said in chapter 3 of Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart. So we seek the Lord in prayer. We look to his word for clarity on, the, on absolute truths, but sometimes he'll give us a word from the word, and then he'll give us peace. And as you mature in the faith, and as you go forward in the faith, like many of you have, you just know when you have a peace. You just know. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. It really is the baseball umpire. The word literally means umpire. And when you say, all right, this is it, and you look at it this way, you kind of use common sense, maybe you look at it this way, okay, but lean not on your understanding, acknowledge the Lord, okay, so this is the way it looks, A, B, C, and D, anything other than that, but we'll put it before the Lord, and he gives you peace. He, mo- he gives you peace. It's the element of faith. You learn that frequency. It's like if you never spoke Russian, you wouldn't recognize Russian. But if you know some Russian, the, min- the minute someone walks by you on the bike path speaking Russian, you're like, yeah, that's Russian. Or if they go by you, and you or they w- walk in front of you, you walk behind them, like, no, that's not Russian. It's similar. It's Ukrainian. If you watch Japanese TV, you immediately recognize Japanese language. Like, you get the frequency is what I'm saying. You're on that frequency. God wants us on the frequency where he is the lot. The Holy Spirit is the lot. We seek him. We, and then you just got to go for it. And listen, we've said this for years, it's a lot easier to redirect a moving car than to try and get someone to start it and get it out of the garage. I'd, w- I'd much rather be out there trying to figure out the roadmap of the journey of faith than to be parked in the garage crippling my mind with all the things that could go wrong. Don't do that. Jesus didn't die on the cross for to keep the car in the garage doing nothing. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and gave us the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire to get out there and get about the Father's business. And yeah, sometimes like you figure it out, but he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. And he's going he's to teach us to live by faith. If he wanted us to know it all, he wouldn't tell us to live by faith. But we walk by faith. We live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's okay to make mistakes when you're out there trying to do it with faith. You seek the Lord. You stay in his word. And 
You look for the peace, and then you go for it. And sometimes you can give a little fleece. Yeah, just going over the chapter in my book about how we went to Virginia, from Virginia to Vermont, the final fleece on moving from Virginia to Vermont was at that time interest rates were about 9%. And we owned our house. The housing market, it was a, it was a buyer's market, okay? That means people that wanted to buy houses had much better leverage than those people trying to sell houses. There were way more houses for sale than people that wanted to buy them. So almost anyone selling a house had to lower their price, negotiate, and come down. So we said, if we're called to go to Vermont, God is going to sell our house at full price, exactly full price, in a slow market. No negotiating, just straight up full price. Before the first day of summer, we gave God, we put a test out there for the price point and the timeline. Full price, 100 days. He sold that house full price before the snow even melted. And we're on our way to Vermont. He, we, we prayed. We sought the Lord. He spoke from his word. He gave us peace. And that thing we really needed to know to close the deal, he confirmed it. Like Gideon and the fleece. Remember Gideon and the fleece? Hey, if it's you, Lord, make the ground wet and the fleece dry, the rug dry. Okay, bear with me one more time. You did that. Let's try it again. Let's make the ground dry and the rug wet, just so we know for sure. And the Lord did that. He's like, okay, well, bear with me. I'm kind of like still a little bit nervous. Give me one other sign. So he goes down and here's the midnight camp. And they're like, the guy tells the dream, dude, we got rolled by this barley loaf. And the guy's like, that's none other than Gideon. And Gideon's like, ah, it's the Lord. Like, he needed three signs to know. And God met him where he's at. But our lot starts with prayer. Our lot goes forward with the word of God. Our lot's confirmed by the peace in our heart. And sometimes God will add to our lot something extra special just to make sure that we don't double clutch and waver once we've committed to do what we're called to do. Yeah. The lot belongs to the Lord. The whole, he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in all things. That's what it means. Chapter 25. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for service some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jethun, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men performing their service was of the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, Asherah, the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king, of Jedithun, of the sons of Jedithun, Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshiah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mathahaliah, six, under the direction of their father, Jedithun, who prophesied with a heart to give thanks and praise to the Lord, of Heman, the son of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Shebul, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hananiah, Elithah, Gidlati, Romati Ezer, Job Bekashaha, Molathai, Hathier, and Masziat. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, in the words of God to exalt his horn, that is, the glory of the Lord. For God gave Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. All these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jedithin, and Heman were under the authority of the king. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. 
And they cast lots for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. So they had a rotation as well for their ministry, these worship leaders. So David's like, here's how this. So David set up this system by which all the animal sacrifices and all that would function in the temple in the future. But now he's setting up parallel to it. Listen, parallel, the system by which worship and praise would unfold at the same time. Kind of like offense, defense. Like he's putting both sides together. See, the sacrifice is more something you have to do. But the worship is something you choose to do. And he's putting them both together. Now, Asaph wrote a number of the Psalms. There's a number of Psalms, about 10 or more, about 10 accredited Asaph in the, in the book of Psalms. But a word jumps out at us with this here. It says prophecy. It says in verse uh, 1 there, prophesy with harps, stringed instruments. Then it says Asaph who prophesied according to the order of the king, verse 2. And then again later on it says who prophesied with the harp to give thanks uh, back down there in verse 3. So three times we're told that these worship leaders prophesied. Now we know in the New Testament that prophecy is the speaking of the word of God for exhortation you know, and comfort and encouragement. So, like, you know, so that's prophecy. It's, that's, you know, that's what it's for. So when you think about it, worship is to build, is to exhort us, to, to comfort us, and to, and to build us up. That's what it is for edification, to build us up. So when we come to sing songs to the Lord, we're singing songs sometimes about the Lord. Sometimes we're singing songs to the Lord. And we sing these songs for 20 to 25 minutes, or if Danny's here sometimes, 40, like last Tuesday. I always told the guys, you ask me, when is Danny Donnelly done? I'm like, whenever he's done. <laughs> he's done when he's done. Like, that is, it's just, you know, he's, a, he's an artist. He's a maestro. When he's done, he's done. It's just like, that's how it goes. And we like it like that, don't we? When Danny prays, it's like, no, this, this could, we could be praying for a while. Because he's prophesying. He's speaking words of comfort, encouragement, and edification to us. And exhortation. You ever notice when Jeff Anderson leads, leads worship, he's always speaking words of comfort. He's always got like that word of comfort when he's praying. Jeff Anderson's always comfort. Scott Cunningham's more like exhortation. Danny Donnelly's just like the whole mosaic, right? Yeah. That's why we sing praises to the Lord. Because as we sing about the Lord and we sing to the Lord, we're being built up in our inner woman and inner man for the things of the Lord. That's why it's really good. A couple weeks ago on a Saturday, someone saw me in the hallway coming this way like you can, about five minutes in the service, like, Joey, can I ask you something? I said, no. <laughs> I'll get you after service. It's time to worship. It's time to worship. Whatever you want to ask me right now in the sixth minute of worship set, it can wait till after service. You should be worshiping, not asking Joey, but that's no big deal because I understand where they're coming from. But I need to worship just like you do. That's why we sing and praise the Lord. It's part of the process. Now, we get this last group of names. I'll read them to you and we'll seal the fruit. Verse 9. Now, the first lot for Asaph, so these are the musicians, and they're going to come out as 24, came out for Joseph. The second for Gedaliah, him with his brethren and son, 12. The third for Zakur, his sons and his brethren, 12. The fourth for Jizri, his sons and his brethren, 12. The fifth for Nethaniah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The sixth for Bukiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The seventh for Jeshurallah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The eighth for Jesusiah, his sons and his brethren, 12. The ninth for Mataniah, his sons and his brethren, 12. 
The tenth for Shimei, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The eleventh for Azarel, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The twelfth for Hashabiah, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The thirteenth, Shubiel, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The fourteenth for Mattahiah, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The fifteenth for Jeremoth, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The sixteenth for Hananiah, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The seventeenth for Jobeshah, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The 18th for Hanani, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 19th for Amalathi, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 20th for Eliatha, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 21st for Hothir, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 22nd for Gedalati, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 23rd for Mahasatath, his sons and his brethren, 12. The 24th, and here's that guy again, Romati, Ezir, his sons and his brethren, 12. Again, the order is 24, right? Did you catch that? So the priests were in this order of 24. These worship leaders in the order of 24. David put together a, a template and a system by which they were equally balanced for their service to the Lord. Which just goes to show it's good to have things in order. It doesn't always go the way you want to, but a good plan is always a good plan, right? So this is what David did. Think about this. This is what David did is organize all this before he stepped into eternity. But what are we going to do? before we step into eternity. May the Lord guide us.